there are some people that make their work just another thing they have to do. And there are those that make their work something that they want to do. Welcome to Working on Purpose with your host, Elise Cortez. In our program, we provide guidance and inspiration from those people who have found deeper meaning and personal connection to their work life. It's beyond 9 to 5. It's Working on Purpose. Now, here is your host, Elise Cortez. Welcome back to the Working on Purpose show. Thanks for tuning in again this week. I'm your host, Elise Cortez, joining you from Dallas, Texas, which is home base for me. This program is all about helping people more meaningfully and productively connect with their work and equipping organizations to do the same for their employees. It was originally inspired by the meeting work research I've been doing over the last 15 years and now complements the work that I do at Insignium, a global management consulting firm. Let me let me thank my media partner and sponsor first before we get into the program. Jobbing.com is the leading locally focused job board in the nation, and they are dedicated to helping employers find quality talent in their own backyard while giving job seekers control over their search so they can find work close to home. Great partnership. Thank you, Jobbing.com. Last week, if you missed the show, we were on the on the air with Christopher Scott, who shared his remarkable tale about spending 13 years in prison for a murder he did not commit. I was interested in interviewing him, not just because of the wrongful justice he's had to endure, but also because he started doing his work to help other wrongfully convicted prisoners before he even got out of prison himself. Those efforts are now fully directed through the House of Renewed Hope, a nonprofit organization that investigates wrongful conviction cases. With us this week is Diane Consolino, who is a speaker, trainer, success coach, and my personal favorite, rule breaker. She helps professionals across many industries, job titles, and professions find the courage and confidence to overcome obstacles, achieve targeted results with velocity, and ask for what they want and get it. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. Diane, welcome to Working on Purpose. Thanks, Elise. I am so happy to be here. Yay, me too. You know, by the grace of our fantastic network, you were introduced to me uh, by the ThinkWell Consulting Group, and I appreciate that introduction. So I really think that you've got a lot for for us to to get from you. So I'm going to jump right in here in the short time that we have together. Um, So first things first, will you, before you talk about, you know, what you've been up to recently, I always like to get kind of a context of your past. So will you introduce yourself and sketch your earlier background before you got into doing what you're doing today? Sure, that sounds I grew up and went to college at Minnesota, but I really started my professional career in healthcare industry in Los Angeles. I was administrator of a healthcare and rehab centers, and it was an exciting time in healthcare back then because what we were doing is we were being really innovative and moving rehabilitation from hospital subacutes into our rehab centers. And I really enjoyed that a lot. I worked with a very culturally diverse staff, which was very different than how I grew up in Minnesota. And the general structure of the facilities I worked in were about seven to nine department heads and anywhere from about 130 to 80 staff members. And I managed budgets around three to seven thousand, excuse me, million dollars. And um, it was it was really great. It was really great being on the leading edge of innovation in healthcare at that time. And well. Go ahead. Sorry. First, I just got to say, it, I do know that you're from, from the Midwest and certainly from Minnesota with that fantastic accent of yours. I love it. Sorry to, sorry to interrupt, but I just had to bring that up. No, no, it's great because I've <laughs> lived all over the country. So people, and, and now we're, I'm in Dallas for the last 13 years, so people are like, okay, we know that's not a Texas accent. So, yeah. It's <laughs> that's right. Minnesota. Okay, so that was your background. I, you know, as someone who has seen many people, including myself, uh, re regenerate themselves into new fields, new careers, how did you get into doing what you're doing today? So what happened is that at a pretty young age, I was successful, but I never felt successful. And so, what I knew to do, how I got to that place, is I worked hard, and so I would always just kind of put my head down and work hard and get the next promotion or the next facility and grow my career. But every time I looked up, I felt like this isn't enough. And it really had, I really was concerned because I felt like I was creating an almost life, whereas I almost felt successful. I almost felt happy. And I kind of stumbled upon a thing called growth and development, which now is a big, um, like we see lots of books in the bookstores, but back then, 20-plus years ago, we didn't really see that. And what I found is that there was nothing really wrong with me because I thought 
how come I just never feel good? And what I found out is the way I was thinking about myself was off. And that changed my whole way that I addressed my life. And that's how I got into what I do now because I knew that if I was doing that, other people were doing that. And the other thing is I kept asking the question, yes, I need to be more confident, but how? And people couldn't answer that. And so I wanted to start giving people the answer to that because everything's a skill set and there are processes to everything we do. And when we can figure that out for ourselves, our whole life can open wide, like just open up in a way that we never expected. Okay, so I want to get this because I can, I can, I can almost just bet um, <laughs> at least two dollars that the listeners today that are like, I get that they're nodding their heads furiously, like, yeah, I know what you mean, I know what you mean. So let's. I know that you do a lot of work with women. You also work with with men as well. But let's start with the women for, first. Paint the picture for us, Diane. When you talk about the experience of women in the workforce today, that was what your experience was. And you've had, there, there, of course, you've worked with many women as well. But help us understand what's going on for a lot of these women in terms of like your own experience and what you've gotten from working with your clients. So in our society, the way we're raised, our boys are raised to be strong and girls are raised to be perfect. And what that looks like, just real briefly, is that girls are taught to compare one another, where boys are taught to compete. Girls are taught that they need to be really high achievers, but they're also taught that it's not nice to brag, because boys will be boys, but girls need to be nice. And so in Mm. that space of always having to be nice, it's not very nice when we talk well about ourselves. Also, we're also, girls are also taught from a young age that other people's opinions matter more than our own opinion. And the last thing is what I like to call the burnt toast syndrome. If we're having breakfast together and there's 10 pieces of toast and 10 people at the table, who's going to eat the burnt toast? It's generally wow. going to be the mom or the woman who's in charge. And so we're taught to serve people without serving ourselves. And so what, that, what happens to that, what happens with that is when we try to be perfect and other people's opinions matter more than us, we don't have a very good capacity to acknowledge ourselves and therefore we tend not to trust ourselves. So we work hard and yet we don't always trust the results that we're getting. So I say you ask a woman, especially a high-achieving woman, to do something at 100%, they're really doing it at 150%. Wow, Diane. I want to I get more into this. This is so interesting. I want to also share with you that last week I had the privilege of being in Philadelphia to moderate a women's leadership panel for a pharma conference. CPHL was the name of it. And one of the things we talked about on that panel was how um, uncomfortable it is for women to promote themselves. And, you know, that we just, we're just taught not to do that. That's a no-no. That's a, a nasty thing to do. You're egotistical. Somebody else is supposed to talk about you. So I really got that when you talked about, you know, I think you used the phrase self-promotion. So how does that hold us back? Well, how it holds us back is on a number of different levels. One, when we can't talk about ourselves to other people in a way that they can understand us and what we're really doing it doesn't give people insight into us because there's a false assumption that people actually know what we're up to. So we need to really know how to tell people how good we are at things for them to understand that we're good at things. The other thing is, and I think this is really interesting for me, when we aren't able to acknowledge ourselves, when we aren't able to really notice our wins, we don't actually trust ourselves because it's the process of acknowledging ourselves that makes us feel good about who we are and how we're showing up. So we often have a false sense of our capacity, and that's why, for example, men will apply for a job if they're 70% qualified, and women will apply for the same job if they're 100% qualified because they lack the capacity to trust their abilities and show up in a way that's more powerful than they actually think of themselves. Okay, so we absolutely talked about that as well, that women will be like, well, you know, I've got, 
I don't have all the qualifications for the job, so I'm not going to apply for it. Whereas men were like, well, I have most of them. I'm going to go for it. And and so what I kind of got out of what you just said there earlier, the whole gist of it was just the importance of us controlling our message, right? Being, I was, I just left a meeting with the principal of my of my um, daughter's school. I am coming in as the PTSA president, and she said, I really want to change our branding. And I said, Well, that means that you have to be the one that is proactively communicating your news versus just reacting to what gets communicated about you. Same thing, yeah. Yeah, yeah, and so. So we're taught that we need to achieve a lot, but then you can't brag. You can't mm-hmm. tell people what you're achieving. So if we don't have that skill set, right, because that's learned behavior, we're going to feel uncomfortable when we do do that because we're breaking the rules. We're breaking the rules saying, oh, no, I'm saying good things about myself. I shouldn't do that. So in that uncomfortableness, we stop, or women stop until they learn the skill set about how to really talk about themselves in a way that promotes themselves. And this is how you're a rule breaker, right? It is. Ah, I love it. I, I, I connected the dots. I love it. Okay. Um, Got to talk about that self-care piece. I'm big, big, big into this thing, Diane. Totally get this. And um, you mentioned that we women oftentimes, we're not caring for ourselves. We're eating the burnt toast. I'm guilty of that, by the way. Um, and, and so say more about that. Why, why are we so reticent to take care of ourselves? Because we're, we're, we watched our grandmothers, we watched our mothers, and now we're, we're the women serving the toast most of the time. And so we've watched these generations after generations serving. Now, it is good to serve. I love serving. Contribution is one of the you know, six human needs. It's a big deal. We want to contribute. But women are taught to co- contribute and serve at their own jeopardy. So I think women should be taught how to fill themselves up and then serve from that overflow. But women are often taught not to take care of themselves, and then they serve from a depleted space often. Mm, I really get that. And it's just so important to articulate this. This is why I wanted to have this conversation with you, because I think women can maybe somewhat register this stuff, but they're not understanding, they can't articulate it, they're not understanding why it's bothersome or where it's getting them until they hear it articulated like you just did. So, beautiful, Diane. Not necessarily okay. great, but beautiful, in terms of this <laughs> is the women's experience out there, but... Um, what else are women juggling in addition to their busy work lives? Can you kind of paint the rest of it for us? I mean, I have some idea because of my world, but what are you seeing out there? Well, I think, you know, most women have home lives, whether they're married or not married. They have friends, family, people, kids, dogs that they need to take care of. So, you know, we have our work, but we also have this huge area called the rest of our life. And we, we need to learn how to juggle that because work be- can become really all-consuming. We forget that sometimes, even though our will- work is fulfilling, that it's really important to have balance with your home, your family, your friends, and things that you love. I really agree with that. I mean, I for me, I work out six days a week, Diane, and it's my that's my crucible. That's how my foundation. That's that's how I get myself going in the day. And I, I just can't, I can't um, sacrifice that. And I really get that. So, um, and that's how I leverage everything else that I have going on. My daughter, everything else. Um, what about the other, if we will, the other group out there in the world, and that being men? What's happening yeah. for them in the workplace? Well, I think it's it's the same, but slightly different because women still have the history of of you know having to come home and be the generally the primary people who take care of home and family and children. But men are raised to be strong, and it's very difficult always having to be strong. So the the notion of always having to be strong and never being able to show your weakness. Um, be unsure about something, that, that's a difficult way to live. So the, so both, both men and women definitely have stressors. They definitely have spaces that could use improvement because when women have to be perfect, that's difficult. But always, always, always having to be strong because that's how our society wants to see you that makes the space for you not to be able to ask questions 
and be in inquiry as much. And that can be a really, really difficult way to live. Yeah, and you know, one of the things that I, I'm just so cognizant of, and I don't, it's it's one of my favorite things to, to consider and ponder, is this idea of androgyny. Like, what can each of the genders learn from and incorporate from the other into themselves? Um, and I think that, you know, men, because they're, they're so they are so pressured to to be strong that they don't necessarily, they're not encouraged to be able to access their feelings as much. And yet it's so beautiful when they do. And women, of course, you know, when they can really own their power, as you say, you know, as we've been saying, like men often do, how much they come into their glory, right? So I have this real big fixation on this idea of, of a society that is a bit more androgynous. Do you have any perspective about that? Yeah, I think it's, because here's what I notice with my male clients. It's not that they don't have problems. It's just that they suffer in silence. Mm, yeah, absolutely. No question. And so yeah. when anything is silented and kind of becomes a secret, it always makes everything worse. So I think having balance for women, having balance for men so that men can be vulnerable and women can be more powerful, it actually gives... When women can be powerful, it gives men more power. And when men can be vulnerable, it actually gives women more power. So balancing that out and having people own their individual um, language and expression, that's a win for all of us. I completely agree, and a great way to go on the break, Diane. Already the first segment has passed us. <laughs> I'm your host, Elise Cortez. We've been on the air with Diane Consolino, who is a speaker, trainer, success coach, and rule breaker. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking about what the experience is like for both men and women in the workplace. After the break, we're going to talk more about how we can work through our fears and get more into our confidence. Stay with us. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just joining us, my guest is Diane Consolino, who is a speaker, trainer, success coach, and rule breaker. She helps professionals across many industries, job titles, and professions find the courage and confidence to overcome obstacles, achieve targeted results with velocity, and ask for what they want and get it. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. So before the break, we were talking about both of our common interests, it looks like, in androgyny, and that's such a yummy conversation. Um, from there, I really want to get into this notion of fear and confidence. Um, so I know that you, when you talk with, it's both on your website as well, some of the conversation you and I had, um, you talk about moving through fear in some of your talks. So first, what's important to understand about fear? Well, I think as a culture, we have a major misunderstanding about fear. And the reason we do is because we see slogans all over and it's on TV, this whole notion of no fear. It's actually humanly impossible for, for people to not feel fear. It's part of the makeup of human. What happens is that we all live in a comfort zone, a place of where everything that we have, all the conversations we're in, the job we do, whether we like them or don't like it, Everything that we currently have in our life is in our comfort zone. 
But our dreams, our goals, and our visions for our life do not live in our comfort zone. They live outside of our comfort zone. And so outside of our comfort zone is a place where we're going to be uncomfortable. There is a gap, and in that gap lives fear. And so when we're taught that we shouldn't have fear and then we feel fear, what happens is that we think that there's something wrong with us, and therefore we often don't go for our goals, our visions, our dreams, because we think, oh, fear, I shouldn't have fear, so therefore I'm doing something wrong. So our, oh, my gosh, our Diane. relationship with fear is completely off. Mm, that was so good, so well articulated, so interesting, and you certainly gave me a whole new perspective about fear that I don't think I got. A notion that that's where our vision and our dreams live, for example, and that we're taught that we're not supposed to have it. Oh my gosh, that is so interesting to me. And yes, of course, what I think about with fear is it, it's a survival mechanism, right? So maybe maybe you could speak to this. If we are living in our fears or working predominantly from our fears, we're only working in a survival mechanism, and therefore we can't access our dreams. Yes, no, maybe, kind of? Well, yeah. So if we can have a healthy relationship to fear, if we can understand our fears, then that's when we can move through our fears. I think our culture spends a lot of time wanting to destroy fear. And Mm -hmm. what that does is that throws people off because when they do feel fear, and you're going to feel fear when you're going for something new, when you're learning something new, it makes people think that they're doing something wrong. But the mechanism of the brain, how it works is, oh, this is something new, I better watch out. Because we still have the mechanism of, you know, cave people. Like, is it safe for me to go out and pick the berries outside the cave, right? So we still have that mechanism. But that's not the society we live in anymore. So we have this relationship to our brain like fear, we shouldn't have it. But no, it's the way the brain works. So what I try to teach my clients all the time is if you can notice your fear, pay attention to it, and then move through it instead of trying not to have it. And the more you move through it, the more we move through and past our fear, get comfortable with our fear, the less that fear actually controls us. So that capacity to move through and expand our comfort zone then grows because the fear itself starts to dissipate when we have a relationship to it. Oh, this is so good, Diane. Okay, so... Got it. I I get this notion about being able to understand our fears, identify them, et cetera. Now, how do you help people address and work through them then? I think people try to hop into action too quickly. They think like, oh, I want to... um, I want to get a promotion, let's say. I want to get a promotion, but I'm really afraid to go ask my boss for this. And so people say, just go ask your boss. And I say, no, don't just go ask your boss yet. (laughs) But let's do some groundwork. And the groundwork is start to notice your thinking. Because 80 to 90% of our thinking is subconscious thinking that we're not aware of. So in a way, sometimes, most of the time, 80 to 90% of the time, our thoughts think us. So Mm -hmm. I want to ask for a boss, my boss for a raise, and the thought comes in is like, no, you're not qualified. Well, I didn't purposely think that thought. That thought just came into my brain. It's an old pattern and habit of a thought that's been with me for a long time. So when I can recognize that thought that is holding me back, that's when I have access to changing my thoughts. And that's what I teach my clients. I teach my clients to look at their thoughts, notice them, pay attention to them, and then from that space, where do we want to move the thought? So how do you help people surface their, their, their thinking and their fears? If, and I agree with you, this is, I totally get this, if 80 to 90% of our, of our thinking is unconscious, how do you help them bring those thoughts and their awareness of their fears into their consciousness? Well, okay, so I'm going to make a really obvious statement. The brain is really smart, right? The brain <laughs> is really, really smart. And so when you give it a good argument that makes sense, that you can be in agreement with, 
then the brain will move with you. So when I explain 80-90% of your thinking is subconscious thinking, when I explain the comfort zone, and when I explain how the process works, it makes sense. So as they start to notice their thoughts, then those thoughts start to shift. For example, I'm working with a client who's really brilliant. She's the dean of a college, and I call her the dean of the smarty pants. Like, she's the (laughs) dean of the nursing department, the computer science department, and the math department. So what she was noticing is that she didn't have as much confidence, confidence as she wanted. Okay, so let's notice your thinking. So what she started noticing, like, oh, my gosh, when I'm talking to people, I'm trying to always accommodate for them. So all my conversation is about making sure that they're okay, they're okay, they're okay. Also, my conversation is about me apologizing a lot whenever I'm asking people for things. She had no awareness of that. So once she gets awareness of that, then she's, she knows, I don't want to be like that. That's not how I want to show up in conversations. So then she then gets freedom to choose a different way to be but she doesn't have a good skill set at it. So that's when then she starts practicing, showing up differently. So it's in that practicing and knowing that she's going to be uncomfortable as she's practicing, she feels confident in that space. Uh, I so want to get into confidence next, but first I've got to call out something really obvious to me that you were talking about. Yesterday I gave a, uh, a TV show interview um, via YouTube, and one of the things we talked about was that everybody needs a coach. Everybody can benefit from being working with a coach because we don't know what we don't know. We have all kinds of blind spots, and we need somebody to kind of give us another perspective on things and hold the mirror up to us, etc. And it's shocking, not shocking to me, but it's amazing to me that you're working with somebody that brilliant who lacks confidence, right? How can that possibly be, right? So let's talk about this idea of, of confidence. Um, first, What's the role of confidence in, in, in us as professionals in the work that we do? What's the role? Well, I think the role of confidence is that, that you know, we want to show up in a way that we firmly are letting people know that we know what we're talking about. So now, if you met the woman that I was talking about, you wouldn't think she didn't have confidence. And this is the sneaky thing about confidence, especially for women. And I think it really holds true to men, too, is that... I'm working with really high achievers. These are successful people in their field. So it's not that they aren't, they're walking into meetings confident. It's just that that the conversation in their head Mm. is making them not feel as powerful as they could feel. And Mm -hmm. that takes a lot of extra time and stress and waste in our day when you're always questioning, always questioning, always questioning your thinking. Mm-hmm. I, can, I totally see that. Now, going back to what we talked about in the first segment, is there a difference between men and women in terms of confidence, how they deal with it, how it shows up for them? My experience is that women do this thing, what I call rabbit hole. They have a thought, and then they notice, like, oh, I'm not as confident as I should be. And then they do a thing that says, why am I not as confident? I should be confident. I, how, come, <laughs> how come I'm not acting smart? I should be smart. And it's just this, this, this spiral down where they their self-talk to themselves when they notice something is bad about themselves really disintegrates. What I notice with men is that they, in fact, I've even said to them, oh, you know, the rabbit hole. And then I explain it, and they're like, no, I don't know what you're talking about. And so here's what I find with men. Men worry. So when they don't feel as confident as they want, what they do is they just have a um, more baseline place of worry and stress. So they ma- people manage it slightly different, but it's the same overall source. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. It does. So I guess what I would want to know next then, thinking about this is, it just occurs to me as you talk about this, and I think about my own life, of course, and how confidence registers for me in some areas and not in others. What do, let's start with women. What do women do then if they do to compensate if they don't feel confident? What do they do? 
Well, if they're coached well, what they do is they go, oh, that's right, I'm not feeling confident. I notice that. And they observe, and then they lean into a new skill set, which says, okay, I can show up, feel uncomfortable, and still be confident. So if they're not coached, what they generally do is they don't know what to do. So if people who don't know what to do and they're listening, what there is to do is to sit up a little taller because our body and minds have this incredible connection and know that your not confidence in this moment is not an indicator of how smart or not smart you are. Confidence and being smart aren't, aren't collapsible. They're two different things. So a person can, like I have a client who... Um, she had a really hard time with public speaking. Brilliant, but had a, a poor skill set around public speaking. So she had the wrong conversation going around confidence in her public speaking. We just needed to change that or around so she could start showing up and show people that she was smart. But they're not, they're not collapsed. You, or they're often collapsed. You need to uncollapse them. Mm, I love that, Diane. I love that. That is so powerful and so empowering. I love that. Um, Now, what about men? When they're not feeling confident, and let's just say they're not coached, what do they tend to do to to compensate for it? I think what they tend to do is just kind of bull ahead, (laughs) just move ahead. Right, just they just go forward, and that's great, right? And it's actually it can it's great. What happens sometimes, though, is what misses for them is they miss out on relatedness, and relatedness, especially in the workplace, and whether you're a business owner, owner or professional, relatedness is one of the main um, tools that a person needs in creating either a good employee environment or a good customer environment. And so when men just kind of charge forward without really having the understanding of confidence and, and just kind of brutally moving forward, I think they miss out on the relatedness, which is a really a high-impact tool and, and technology. Yeah, and of course, what I know from the work that I do is it really allows the leader to enroll people into their vision is what what it does, and it's it is very powerful. I gotta believe at this point that there are listeners out there going, wait just a sec, hold on. How do I effectively lead if people know that I'm not confident or I don't? It shows that I'm not confident. How, what do you say to that? You already somewhat addressed it with what you just said, but how would you say how would you address that question? Well, I think there's two kinds of confidence. There's a confidence that shows up that you're not confident. And that's hard. To, it is hard to lead in that space. And, and you still can do it. Because remember, there's all the different kinds of levels of confidence. So you don't have to be perfect to be a good leader. And that is a, a key piece I think people miss. Like if you stumble over words, sometimes you're like, oh, I'm stumbling then I must not be a good leader. No, it's not an indicator. Perfection is not an indicator of confidence. So showing up, doing the best you can is actually really great because as you practice that, your confidence will build. Your skill set around confidence will build, and that's really what's critical for you getting where you need to go. If you just keep holding back because you don't feel like you can be confident enough, you'll actually never get where you want to go. Mm-hmm. I totally see that. Totally see that. It strikes me there's that wonderful balance of being able to st- be able to say in an authentic way, look, I don't know exactly. I don't, have, I don't have all the answers, and I'm not sure about this. But what I do know is X, Y, Z, whatever related to the vision, et cetera. Um, I, what I know about working with leaders, too, is that when you can access that relatability that shows that you don't have all the answers and you're okay with that, I think that a lot of times it's just it's kind of irresistible to people. Yeah, it's powerful. It's, no one really likes that I know person, right, or I know everything person. Because what happens is when we know everything all the time, it actually makes us... There's no access for input from other people. And yes. people like contribute. Contribution from other people, especially in an organization, or a family, in friends, is 
so critical because it's actually a human need that people have, the need to contribute. So when you're a person who can allow for contribution, it actually turns on other people and they want to participate more. So it's actually a strength, not a weakness, when you, when you say you don't know and look for contribution. Mm, I love that, Diane. I'm completely with you. Perfect way to go into our next break. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. We've been on the air with Diane Consolino, who is a speaker, trainer, success coach, and a rule breaker. She joins us today from Dallas, Texas. We've been talking about the role of fear and confidence in our work and what we can do to address those. After the break, we're going to talk about how to ask for what we actually want and get better results. Stay with us. your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. Elise Cortez is a speaker and engagement and development catalyst. She designs and delivers professional development, leadership, and engagement workshops and can bring her expertise to your organization. She will help ignite meaningful development within your workforce that will increase employee engagement, performance, and retention. To learn more or to invite Elise to speak to your organization, please visit her at www.elisecortez.com. She would welcome the opportunity to help get your employees working on purpose. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. This is Working on Purpose with Elise Cortez. To reach our program today, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Elise, A-L-I-S-E, at EliseCortez.com. Now, back to Working on Purpose. Thanks for staying with us and welcome back to Working on Purpose. If you're just tuning in, my guest is Diane Consolino, who is a speaker, trainer, success coach, and my personal favorite, a rule breaker. She helps professionals across many industries, job titles, and professions find the courage and confidence to overcome obstacles, achieve targeted results with velocity, and ask for what they want and get it. I'm Elise Cortez, your host. Before the break, we were talking uh, a good bit about fear and confidence and the role those play in, in our work lives and how we can address those. For this last segment here, Diane, what I really want to give our listeners is this whole notion of you know what you talk about being able to ask for what you want and getting results. Um, so I know you do that with your clients. You do a lot of work with that. But so first, why do we so struggle with asking for what we want? Well, I think what happens is that we're taught that we need to be nice when we're little. So when we're trying to be nice, we're trying not to be too demanding or inconvenient other people. And how we've interpreted that is that we can't ask for what we want. And so in that space of that, I just think it's generally a skill set that we get from childhood that we're not really taught how to ask for what we want. Hmm. Hmm. I'm again. You're making me think about my own life. You're right. I mean, I that was just not something that I that I did. I kept it to myself, and I don't know if I hoped somebody would figure it out or it would manifest itself magically. I don't know. But I, I'm, you're really making me realize that I didn't. I haven't done that either until, and maybe even until recently. Um, here's what's interesting about this, Diane. Is um, when I got a, when I got divorced about a year ago, I, I I really realized that I did need to have help, and so I, I would have to ask for help. And um, you know, and that's part of even just that thing of asking for help is a portion of asking for what you want. I was at the conference last week, and I had all these bags, and I had a cup of coffee, and I didn't even think twice, Diane. There was this young man walking just kind of in my proximity. I said, hey, could you come over here and help me with something? And he gave me this really strange look like, what? You want me to do what? And I said, would you just carry my bags down those three steps? I can't do it with all the stuff in my hands. And he goes, oh, yeah, absolutely, right? So people are so happy to help, especially if we can articulate it, but it just isn't natural for us. Yeah, it's just, so I think it, this is what I think is really, really interesting. We won't ask people for help, but we will help people all the time. Yeah, so and what we're I delighted do when they I, ask us. Yeah, yeah. So what I always tell my clients is this. 
how would you feel if somebody asked you the same thing? So, if somebody said to you, will you do this, take me to the airport? Mm-hmm. If, you, if you would say yes, then you have freedom all day long to ask people to take you to the airport. Because you would say yes. Mm-hmm. So use mm-hmm. the same template. It's a really great way to start. Use the same template for yourself as what you would say yes to. Okay, so you're getting into a territory. I wanted to ask you, and I don't know if this is part of what you do when you work with your clients, but I would love it if you could speak a bit more about what recommendations or advice do you give to your clients to help them get what they want? Is that part of it, that templating process that you were just talking about? Yeah, oh, I love the template. (laughs) I love the template. (laughs) Okay, well, say more. Help us. Say more. Because there's areas in our life that we're really, really good at, but then we have a different rule in another area of our life. For example, there's a lot of people who are really great at work, and they tell people what to do all day long, but then they get home and they won't ask their kids to pick up their room. So Mm. what I recommend people to do is use the same energy of asking in an area that you're good at in an area that you're not so good at. Bring the confidence over. But it starts with noticing. It starts with noticing what is your skill set, where are you good at asking for what you want and where are you not good at asking for what you want? And once you know that, that information, then that's where you can really, really start using the template in other areas. So this template, do you... Yes, it does. Totally, totally makes sense. So what I find interesting about what you're saying here is I, I've got an image of people walking around with like this written template so they remember this stuff. How do you... How do you help your clients kind of get this into a, a more of an operational mindset for themselves so that it becomes more automatic? Or do you? Or can you? Well, it's interesting because we have a conversation in our society, like, you need to be in action, you need to be in action, you need to be in action. But what I actually say is you need to be in observation. Mm-hmm. Because when you start noticing that you're not asking for things, then you can notice your thoughts around it. And when you start noticing your thought around it, that gives you the access to change your thought. Yes. So I'm a boss. I have 10 employees, and I notice I'm not delegating. Well, if I didn't notice I wasn't delegating, then I wouldn't be able to start delegating. So... The first thing I asked, like, for example, I was working with this manager, and there was a guy that she was working with, and she was never delegating to him. And he would always come over to her and say, I um, can't do this thing. And then she would go do it. I said, well, go teach him how to do that. Well, then, then what if he does it wrong? I said, well, have him do it until he can get it. Because every time you do it for him, you're telling that person you're not smart enough to do this. Mm-hmm. Instead, what you I have the confidence in you to learn this, and I'm going to take the time it takes for you to get it. And from that point, that guy started doing all of his work. So she had to spend a little bit more time in the beginning training him and teaching him. But then literally after that two weeks, the rest of the years they work together, she'll never have to train him on that piece of equipment again. Mm-hmm. And she just herself every day of 15 minutes. What if you what if you what if you ask people enough that you let up four to five fifteen minutes a day go? That's an hour a day. Yeah. So it's the yeah. little that build up that produce our lives and make them really um, unmanageable. Another thing she did that was really interesting, and this is about asking for what you want, but in a little bit different way. Her um, cubicle mate used to always ask her to run errands in the process of her running the errand. So she would go to another part of the facility, and her cubicle mate would always say, hey, can you bring this while you're, you're on your way? Well, every time she did that, that took her an extra 10 to 15 minutes. And she did that two to three times a day. So that's anywhere from, what, 40 minutes to 45 minutes a day doing somebody else's errand. Wow. So I taught her to start saying no. 
So mm-hmm. saying no is a really great way to ask for what you want. So she said, I can't say no. I said, no, let me actually tell you how to say no. And I said, when she asks, you say, oh, I'm, I can't do that today. I'm too busy. And then she's going to say, what? <laughs> and then I say, just turn to her again and say, I can't do that today. I'm too busy. And you just repeat it three or four times, and she'll finally say, okay. And then you go do it. And every time she asks you to do that thing, you just repeat those three words, those three sentences. And pretty soon she'll stop asking. And so that's exactly what happened. She asked her. My client kept saying, I'm sorry, I'm too busy today. And within two weeks, she stopped asking her. Mm-hmm. Freed up 40 to 45 minutes of her day every day. Oh, my gosh. You're reminding me just how, how important it is to learn how to say no, especially as women. And I remember years ago, this woman that I knew, she'd say to me, Elise, don't forget, no works. <laughs> say no and I think what you just did there Diane of being able to connect being able to say no with getting the results that you want is brilliant right and sometimes the language like sometimes people don't know the language of how to say something so they don't say it or they think that somebody's going to get mad at them Mm -hmm. because we're taught that we need to be nice and so our capacity to ask for what we want is also the capacity for us to understand our own power and feel confident in the space of serving ourselves, in the space of um, really being able to fill ourselves up first and then serve from overflow. Mm-hmm. Mm. And I don't know if that gets us to the next place that I wanted to, wanted us to get to talk about at some point, but one of the things that you distinguish, both in what you and I talked about when we first spoke and also on your website, is the notion of getting real results as something that you work with your clients. Real results. What do you mean by real results? Well, what I think, I think that a lot of us live in a fantasy of what actually has to be done. Because we're perfectionists, because we're high achievers, we think that everything has to be so great and because it has to be so great, we don't attempt it. We, we hold ourselves back. And so what I talk about is real results, like, get, like actually taking action towards the result you're looking for versus just thinking about it a lot. Because a lot of people, their results are in their head waiting for themselves to get perfect versus actually observing noticing what you're doing, and then you're moving into action to actually get the result you want. Okay, so let me see if I got that. So it's not what, I'm, what I think I'm hearing is that you, you distinguish real results by really having them get clear, getting, having people get clear about what is it, that, what, what, what do I actually need to accomplish that would, that would indicate to me that I'm either successful in what I wanted to do, that I actually set out and finished what I said I wanted to do. Is it a matter of... That kind of clarity? Is that what you mean? Yeah. I think it's a matter of, of I, know this, I know this is going to sound weird, but lowering your expectations and actually getting into action because not everything has to be A work. Okay. Gotcha. Beavers, they do this thing where it has to be A. Like it has to be an A, a work. The, the email has to be an A versus an ABC grade, right? Sometimes what holds us back is just that fact that you just need to get the email out. You just need to get to the newsletter out. You just need to make the phone call. It doesn't have to be perfect. So in the process of getting the result, being in action, you allow yourself to move forward even though you're uncomfortable, even though you're a little scared, and even though it might not be perfect, because it's in that space of getting the practice and getting results, getting practice and getting results, where the real results really occur. Mm. And I see that as a muscle. Yeah, Yeah, not in your head thinking about the thing you want. Mm -hmm. I gotcha. Okay. All right, well, we're, we're coming close to running out of time, and I want to make sure and talk about one other thing that I find quite fascinating that you talk with your clients about, and this, it's the notion of helping them develop strategies to powerfully create. And that's interesting to me because of, of you know, the innovation work that I've been able to get involved in. Talk with us about that. How do you help your clients powerfully create? 
Well, one of the first strategies I really work with is the, their capacity to acknowledge themselves. When a person has a good ability to acknowledge themselves, they also then trust themselves. Because we're actually, as humans, constantly creating. We're constantly thinking of things. We literally can never turn our brain off. This is how the brain works. The brain is always moving. The brain is always creating. But often what happens is that we don't actually trust what we're creating. Mm. So when we create and we've learned to trust ourselves, acknowledge ourselves, believe in ourselves, feel more empowered, then your creativity actually, it's amazing. It just goes through the roof because you actually trust what your brain is thinking. So your capacity to create is often based on your, your capacity to really trust yourself that what you're creating is actually good. Wow. And now I see how a lot of the stuff and the concepts that you work with are interwoven, Diane, because, right, where you're, you're getting at, you know, having some confidence about this. I'm confident that what I'm doing is good. There's value in this instead of questioning it. Yeah, because when your brain wins, your brain loves to win. So when you can start acknowledging yourself with small things, small things, small things, a win, a win, a win, then you, your brain starts trusting you, and, and your, your brain starts, I know it kind of feels like your brain's outside of you, but your brain actually starts going, oh, I'm winning, I'm winning. Okay, I can do this, I can do this. And so it's like running a marathon. You can't run mile 26 unless you run mile 1, 2, 3. So when you run a marathon and you win mile one and you win mile two and you win mile three and you win mile four and you win mile five, that's what leads you to winning mile 26. Mm -hmm. So what I hear you saying, Diane, and we're going to have to wrap this up, is that you help your clients create new healthy patterns for themselves, among other things. Is that right? That's exactly In, In a way that is, is fun and a way that they really get results so much quicker than they thought they would if versus just making 10 phone calls today. Mm. Well, what a wonderful way to finish the show. Um, that, it, that brings us to a close. I want to thank you for joining us today, Diane. I've loved every moment of this conversation. It's been lovely to have you on the show. Me too. This is a really great experience, and this is one of my favorite conversations, so thank you so much. Yay, me too. Well, if you want to learn more about Diane Consolino and the work she does, go to her website. It's dianeconsolino.com. Let me spell that for you. D-I-A-N-E-C-O-N-S-O-L-I-N-O. dianeconsolino.com. Next week, we'll be on the air with Martha Parker about ergonomics and how she helps companies organize their work environments for greater productivity while decreasing injury. So see you then. Remember that work is at least one third of our lives, so let's work on purpose. We hope you've enjoyed this week's program. Be sure to tune in to Working on Purpose, featuring your host, Elise Cortez, every Wednesday at 6 p.m. Eastern Time, 3 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. This week, find your life's purpose at work. <laughs>